Hi guys and welcome to a new episode of Shall We Talk About It? Before starting this episode, I'm going to give you the answers to uh, the clips that I put last episode for the intro and the outro, like tell you who says what. So for the intro, it was Cora episode 2 season 1, Anna the Christmas special of season 3, Mary in the first movie, Edith in episode 8 of season 6, Mrs. Hughes in the Christmas special of season 5, Isabel in the episode 7 of season 3, Robert in the Christmas special of season 5, Carson in episode 6 of season 4, Violet in the first movie, and for the outro it was Mrs. Papmore in episode 1 of season 6, Cora in episode 8 of season 6, Robert in the Christmas special of season 5, Violet in the Christmas special of season 6, and well, at the end, it's Taylor Swift. It's the end of the song, the story of us. It's not Taylor's version because that does not exist yet. But when it will, I will like change it put the end, Taylor's version. I know we had twice Cora, Robert, and Violet, or Violet, of course, and she's like the soul of Downton. And when Cora and Robert are my favorite, so I had to. But today we're not here to talk about Downton Abbey. Well, we are going to talk about Downton Abbey a bit because this subject is not completely unrelated, you know, to Downton Abbey. So, shall we start? Yeah, let's go. Me? Is it, is it by any chance Hugh Bonneville? Have you written Hugh Bonneville? How about that? I'm 6'2 for a start, and I do not lie to people just to avoid confrontation. Cricket, a gentleman's game. Well, yes and no. You want to call him Ketchup? Wouldn't it be fun to kill the dog? It is my third parent and my fourth child. Oh my God, he's a weirdo. Playing under the piano by Hugh Bonneville. Shall we talk about it? Yes, we shall. Today, we're going to talk about Playing Over the Piano by Hugh Bonneville. So, you know, related to Downton because Hugh Bonneville, actor who plays Robert Crawley in Downton and many other parts. I wanted to make this my subject of November because, well, this book came out on the 13th of October and it will actually only come out in the US and Canada on the 8th of November and if I am well organized this episode should come out on the 2nd of November because I wanted to come out before uh, the book will be available in the US and Canada and also because well November it's this man's birth month so because if you're like still wondering should I buy it or not this maybe will, will help you make your mind or not but we'll see. And I just wanted to say sorry right now about my digressions because I am going to digress a bit, I think, in this episode because, well, reading this and kind of sometimes uh, made me think about things that happened in my life, especially, you know, stories about his siblings and all that. And I thought maybe you could share with me some of your stories if you want. And also, um, I'm sorry if Tara Swift is going to make an appearance, well, only making a thing, it's by uh, me talking about her. Because I'm filming this in um, late October and Midnight is all that I've been listening to for the past couple of days, like, yeah. So, um, and plus, well, I'm a Swifty. If you have been following me for a while, you know it, so I'm sorry. And I know, well, it might be weird for you, especially if you don't know uh, that I love Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, if you think it's weird, well, it's not you, it's me, hi. I'm the problem, it's me. And if you're wondering, is there a connection between Hugh Bonneville and Taylor Swift? Well, when you see like that, you think not, but 
when I read his book and when I saw uh, like the events, the same events with the online stream, um, I realized that he uses at least two words that I almost never heard in my life. Well, not really that I almost never heard in my life, especially not well in English. It was kaleidoscope and epiphany. And the only person that I remember using those words is Taylor Swift. So yeah, I'm telling you it's connected. I mean, I can always find connections somewhere, trust me. But so this lovely man here, Hugh Bonneville, was born on the 10th of November, 1963. But before diving into what's in the book, I want to talk about the book in itself, you know, like the, like the object. And what well, it is a beautiful book. Actually, Richard Curtis here said a gorgeous book, and yes, it's really, really beautiful. I love beautiful objects, like I love when it looks good on the shelf, because we know the important, the most important stuff is actually what's inside, but if it's beautiful, it's even better. And so it's a hardcover, and I love that. And maybe for you, or it depends where you come from, maybe for you it's like you're used to it, but in France, we don't like uh, hardcover. Well, France doesn't like hardcover books because usually when a book uh, is translated in French well it is not the hardcover disappears like it's more like paperback um not like a pocketbook but really like you know the the cover is flexible and I don't like it for example I don't know the Michelle Obama book like Becoming or even the Barack Obama one they have hardcovers well when it was translated in French no hardcovers I don't know why they do that I don't know why, but so hardcover, we like that. So on hardcover books, you have uh, like another cover on it. I don't know how to call it, but I can, you can like take it off, which I quite like because this only thing that is quite um, annoying sometimes when you read it and the thing just comes off and it's best if you don't want to like damage it. But when you take it off, the book is stunning. The book is red. But when I say red, it's like burning red, like Taylor Swift red, you know, like Taylor Swift lipstick red, or even Elizabeth McGovern's lipstick red. Oh, hey, connection, you know, we like blue-eyed American woman who wears lipstick and plays guitar. Hey, I told you there were connections everywhere, everywhere. Anyway, so the book is red and it's gorgeous. I've never had a hardcover book as red as this one. It's so beautiful. And what I love even more is on the spine of the book. There's, well, his name and the name of the book, obviously. But it's in silver and it's shiny. I love it. It's pretty. I'm not going to say I can make the whole place shimmer because that would be a bit exaggerated. But I like it. I like shiny things. Very pretty. I love it. And it's like the theme of the book and the color. You have red because the interior of the book. It's blue. So it's red and blue. That's the big theme of the book. I love it. So like I said, blue and red are the color. Actually, the spine of the book is red. And yellow, actually, and a bit of white, but yellow, blue, and red are actually Paddington colors. Like, you know, he has a blue duffel coat and red hat. And I think in the poster, like, his name is in yellow. So I don't know if it was made on purpose, like the Paddington theme colors, but I like it. So you have his name in huge, but his name is actually bigger than the title of the book, which I thought was. Quite funny, so his name is in yellow, the title of the book is in uh, white, and on the spine, his name is in white, and the title of the book is in yellow. I like it. I like the theme, I like it, it's very, very nice. And so about name, title, well, so, like I said, his name is huge, 
but he has a nice name though. It's really, I like the way it sounds. It's when it's written, it's really nice. You know, good choice, you. And I love the the title, the book playing on the piano. It's it sounds so great when you like hear it. Well, it's an alliteration, right? Playing on the piano. Maybe. I mean, oh my god, if it is my French teacher in high school, be so proud of me. But let's talk about the picture. <laughs> Because I know um, Graham Norton made a joke about it because he thought was it supposed to have a piano here or not? But actually, I really love this picture. I don't know why, but there's a vibe of um, like I don't know how I get I got there. If you know what I mean, like I'm telling you my story and I realize like I don't know how you know <laughs> that little boy became that fan. I don't know. I think it's very funny and very sweet. Like I don't know, it looks well with you that cover and. Let's talk about the suit as well because well the suit is actually blue and the interior is red and now it has a, like a white shirt but he wore it i think once with a pink shirt a light pink and he wore it a lot recently well he wore it before like if you go through his instagram we see that suit like he had it on the picture he took uh, in leicester square with the paddington st statue and he had it in, I think maybe it was a photoshoot for the book, but in a picture, like very kind of sexy vibe picture on a couch. And he wore it at every event concert, like uh, related to the book. Uh, he wore it in the Grand Norton show, he wore it at the same event, he wore it when the book came out. I think he wore it every time. So I don't know if he has like more than one, <laughs> because yeah, she has to wash it every time. Well, yeah, maybe he has more than one. I love it. So yes, actually in the event, fame event, he had a yellow um, t-shirt underneath. And well, maybe it was to make like the Ukraine flag. The first thing I thought was if he had his glasses, he would look like a minion. I know minions have dungarees, but like blue and yellow makes me think about minion. Each their own culture, okay? <laughs> but yeah, anyway. So like I said, nice name and the title where he explains it in the book is actually is the name of his second chapter and he said that actually on the ground, not sure there was something at well, it was kindergarten, like he was supposed to do something from the class and he was scared so he preferred to play under the piano. But for me, I think it um so you have that, but the other reference I think is about his father. Because through the whole book you actually follow like you almost start the book with his father, like really early on and you end it with him. And his father played the piano and I don't know, I think there's something about it too, about um, the fact that this book is a memoir, so it's like a collection of memories and it talks about his father's fading memories and that one of the last thing that he could do was like playing the piano, uh, which is very uh, moving. So I think this must have been something about it too. And like I said, I really like the title. Well, the undertitle is From Downtown to Darkest Peru, which is quite misleading because usually when you wrote From to, like From is like the beginning of something and To is like the end. So if it's like you start with Downtown and you, well, the book kind of starts with Downtown, but if it's like his journey starts with Downtown and ends in Darkest Peru, which is, so with Paddington, which is not true, like he really starts, um, when, when he's very, very young, well, a boy. But anyway. Oh, and he has said that the suit actually matches the color of the book. Like, you know, blue and red, and the book is blue and red. Like, I don't know who, whose idea was, who thought it, I want to know, because I, I don't know if it's so well thinking. I just love it. Okay, great. And the back cover is amazing. Like, 
Well, I have nothing more to just the back cover is actually amazing. Let's dive a bit into like what's in the book. And first, you have like at the beginning, or you have the title obviously, but you have a dedication. I think that's how you say it, right? And well, it's for his wife and his son, nothing like too surprising about that. But I just love when in books you have dedication, or usually you have it, but I just found it very endearing and I'm always like, um, so yeah. And in this book, you have three parts. We have an introduction and then you have three parts. And it's in chronological order, like almost like it's really, you follow his life from when he's a child to around now, but sometimes you have, you know, memories that just come and uh, souvenirs and just come in it. But as, as a whole, it's really chronological. And well, part one is beginners, please. Part two is cutting up. And part three is raw sound. So it's really like part one is like his childhood. Part two is almost like his, uh, like his Korean theater, like the beginning of it. And raw sound, obviously, it's all about movies. And yeah, and each chapter has a title. And I love the titles. I have to say, the titles are really, really good. And sometimes you read the titles, like, why is it going to talk about? Like, what is it? And actually, it's uh, where you have a reference in the chapter, so you understand. So very nice. And actually, this book, I discovered it through the audiobook because I couldn't wait for my book to arrive and I had pre-ordered the audiobook because I love audiobooks. Well, I started listening to it so on the, so the, th the Thursday when it came out and the day after I finished it. Like it I, I did only that for like not even 40, not even 40 hours, like more like 36 hours. But I loved it. It's not, it's only, it's only, it's 11 hours the book, just so you know. But uh, it was so good, really. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I loved it. Well, I loved the book, reading it too, but listening to it and discovering the book through the audiobook was actually one of the best reading experiences I ever had, like ever, ever, ever. First, because he's a really great narrator, like truly. And since it's his story, it gives you, a, it gives him a warmth, like it brings a warmth into the experience because it's really like he was one of, someone of your family just sits with you and say, well, I'm going to tell you a story. Really great. I'm going to talk about it a bit more later about the audiobook and all that, but amazing. And so the book in itself. Where there's so many, I, I went through so many emotions, like it's funny, like it's really funny. I laugh, like I was listening to it. So I would laugh, my mom would say, what's funny? Like, it's you who's funny, like that, obviously. And it made me cry, but like I had tears streaming down my face. Um, I'm a very emotional person, I'm just saying, because it's not because I cried that you would cry. Actually, you said that, um, said it on, I think it's the chapter impact in this book. Something that we touch you, we not necessarily touch other people. I'm just saying it was very moving and very, well, it was lovely and very touching and very, very entertaining. And one thing about the audiobook that is so great is to have the satisfaction of hearing Hugh swear. Because we don't hear, we have not heard Hugh swear a lot, especially like if you're Dalton fans. <laughs> no, doesn't say fucking Dalton, but it is so yeah, I think it's very satisfying <laughs> to hear that. And by listening and reading it, I can definitely say, yes, he's a Scorpio. 
I like astrology and yeah, um, yeah. I never really had a doubt, but like the Scorpio people are usually misunderstood. It's very hard to really get to see them. I don't know how to say it, but I, yeah, it's, yeah, he's a Scorpio. There's, um, yeah, a bit about, well, you know, we all know Scorpio passion and a lot of nice things. You know, when they love you, they love each other for that sometimes, but the issue is the other part and the sometimes of the impulsivity and you know jealousy and revenge <laughs> oh my god like yeah if you if you want to talk Taylor Swift again for example on midnight vigilante shit is a nice Scorpio song especially the revenge part karma is a good Scorpio song too because it's about revenge and a lot of passion and that I have nothing against Scorpio I actually quite like them they're just but I'm really intrigued to know his birth chart. Yes, okay, let's talk about astrology for a second. Because there's a lot of impulsivity. Like sometimes he does things and he only think about after, you know, about it. After he does. And yeah, and so impulsivity is very, is, is a trait of Aries. And it's not even Taurus. Like there must be Taurus in his birth chart because, well, I still by Capricorn too because there's a Capricorn are really sarcastic people, but Tauruses, um, they're a bit impulsive, especially when they've been hurt. They've been hurt just going right into it and then they're like, maybe that was not a good idea. And Tauruses love foods, like simple things in life, and they sometimes like big kids and well, I love Tauruses, maybe that's why, but anyway, I really want to know his birth chart. For information, I'm an Aquarius, so maybe that's why I'm weird. And I should like his dad. If I'm not mistaken, he said that his dad's birthday was on Valentine's Day, so that would make him an Aquarius. So, even better. But yeah, like, let's let's stop the like astrology thingy, and let's dive into the book. And I've been talking for like half an hour, and we still haven't talked about what's in the book. But first, the intro is gold. The intro, it's okay. It's it's completely chaotic, but sometimes that he's a bit of a chaotic person, but I am too. So you know, it's okay. The introduction is called, they're going in a different direction. And let's just say that when I listened to it, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. Like <laughs> this, like this is completely chaotic, but this is so fun. And well, he, he, I think, yeah, he swears a lot already in that intro. So yeah, that's very nice. And actually the intro starts with Downton. So it's very um, sweet, especially if you like me, like a big Downton fan, and that's actually through Downton that you decide to be a Hugh Bonneville fan. So um, yeah, that's quite nice, but it's, <laughs> sorry, uh, but it talks about all the things uh, as well, you know, like I said, it's chaotic, but I'm just going to read you the first line, because like I said, this intro is called, not really my cup of tea. This is such a British like phrase, like, <laughs> Can we get more British than that? I don't think so. I love it. I really, really love it. It's oh, so good. And in the intro, actually, he talks about how people sometimes misspell or mispronounce his name. I thought it was very funny. And when I said his name was huge, well, sometimes people would say dear huge because they're like autocorrecting. So I don't know why, but I mean, it's so fun, right? No, it makes me laugh because usually it's the last name that they can't pronounce right because well, it's French. And I would say, well, it's on Hugh because he's the one who chose this name. 
I said it was a really nice name and I'm standing on my grounds, but you know. But it's funny because in France, it's the hue we have a problem with. Like Bonneville, very, very easy, you know, but hue, my sister and my mother can't pronounce it. Actually, the French version of hue would be Hugues. And to be honest, I don't know. I have never met someone like Hugues, except maybe, well, I have never met them, but a French king, so Hugues and I was like in the end of the 10th century, or a French singer and musician called Hugo Frey, and he's like 90. So yeah, they actually made a song called Céline, and apparently that would be the reason why Céline Joyce got Céline Joyce. Anyway, so I think it's very funny. And talk about people misspelling uh, or mispronouncing your name. Well, I can definitely relate to that. My name in total has eight letters for my first name and my last name. And well, it's always trouble. Uh, my first name, it depends. But most people are always like Emma with one M or two M's. And sometimes it irritates me, but you know. But my last name, there's four letters. And every time I say it and I find, um, you know, when I have to say my name, I like to like uh, spell it. I can see panic in the people's faces. Like I saying with H-A and usually that's okay. And then the H-N, the second H, like, oh my God, what just happened? I don't know how people can write this in so many different ways because it's only four letters, but anyway. And the way they pronounce it, always bad because the English book is supposed to pronounce it Han and they always say Han. Like you don't, because in French you don't pronounce the H. So my name became, like instead of being a rooster, it, becomes a donkey because Han in German and Alsacien it's a rooster but Anan you do not read in the same but Anan it's a donkey in French and I prefer to be a rooster you know because well it's like the emblem of pate and I'm really proud to be like you know pate it's also it's kind of the emblem of France actually oh yeah because I am French but I come from a place in France called Alsace which is near uh, Germany so we have a lot of German roots and culture, uh, but we're not German. I have nothing against Germany and German people, but if you go in like in Alsace and you say to people they speak German, don't do that. An advice I'm giving you, don't do that. It may sound sometimes to say it's not, okay? And just thinking about it makes me wonder how my grandmother would have pronounced this name, like you, if she has just seen it written, like I don't even know how she would pronounce it. But so, yeah, me spelling my names, I, I get that, you know. And so about this, his name, he actually talks about like how his name became his name. Because his name, like his birth name is Hugh Williams. And one of his second name was Bonniewell. And his father told him that apparently they could be like descendants of Les Huguenots. So Les Huguenots, they were Protestants from France, but who fled France when there were like conflicts between Protestants and Catholics and especially after like the Saint Barthélemy and all that stuff. And so they fled uh, across Europe and some of them arrived in England. So apparently Bonnevale would have been like the English version of Bonneville or he would say the Bonneville. And he may even make a joke about the fact that for a while he would like to sign his papers de Bonneville. So well, it's very, very posh, very Downton Abbey, <laughs> you know, very like aristocracy uh, coded all that. Um, because yeah, when you do something in France, it's usually the form of the aristocracy. Like for example, if you have seen Downton Abbey in your era, the French marquis is called Marquis de Montmirail. 
It's actually very funny because this is the name of the character in one of the uh, most famous and uh, fame and famous comedy uh, of France called The Visitor, and the main character is called De Momiari too. So it was very funny. But so uh, yeah, and the the whole story you have to read it. It's very funny. But the whole story is that there was already someone named Hugh Williams uh, in the industry, and so I said maybe it's best to change his name. And first he changed it to Richard, which is the second name, Richard and uh, Bondi, so Richard Bondi. And then he decided after watching it to Hugh Bondi because at the party, one of his friends didn't know how to introduce him, you know, to introduce him as Richard or as Hugh, so he didn't introduce him at all. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I can picture it really this book, the way it is written, it's like a movie, you can picture it. And this moment, I was like, and so I decided to go back to Bondi, and I have to say it's a really nice name. So I was like, okay. Oh, if you know what it means, actually, so bon means good, like the, the feminine version of good, because uh, adjective and not invariable in French. And it's also actually the informal word to maid or housemaid. Like in French, it would be a femme de chambre, but the informal word would be bon. But that's more like bon, like good, we would say that. And ville, it's actually city or town. So it's like, good town or good city that's the thing and funny thing again i told you i was going to digress a lot in this episode but when i was in paris last summer i was in montmartre uh, in the montmartre cemetery actually and we were with my friends and we were looking for Dalida tombstone and while walking we just went past a bunch of tombstone with Bonnevy on it. And I was just walking, you know, but because the name, you know, it caught my attention, I was like, wait, wait a second. And it was Bonnevy, like, really a row, a full row of Bonnevy. So, like, okay, maybe they're related. I don't know. Who knows? And yes, and apparently they are not descendants from the Huguenot. Apparently they're not. And so, in this intro, he also talks about a bit the Monuments Man. In the book, actually, he talks about the Monuments Man and talks about the Grand Norton Show. In other ground, not to show the episodes where he has a maroon suit and he's with Bill Murray and Matt Damon. And this episode is actually one of the best episodes ever, ever, ever. Like one of the best episodes of the Ground Norton show, but like one of the best things that I ever watched on YouTube, like ever, ever, ever. And to be honest, the Ground Norton show is actually one of the best chat shows, like ever, ever, ever. And so he talks about it. And I don't know if you have seen this, if you haven't, just go, go see it because. You will thank me. It's I can't. I have seen it so many times, and every time I still laugh. It's just hilarious. And so in it, they talk about so Men and Hugh told Graham how when he received the mail about you know like um, auditioning or having the part. I don't know how it was, but you no, know, in the Men's Men. So they in the mail they would say well with the, like George Clooney being already Matt Damon and all that. And there's one name they forgot to take off and apparently there was a name of an actor that dropped out because that was the part that he was asked to play and if i have understood correctly but i think i did in the ground sure he didn't want to say who the actor was like the name that they forgot to take off but in the book he says it and it's very funny because something else like it's an actor very famous one and actually he talks about when he did an audition for a part and that actor got his part, which I think is very funny. And I hope I haven't misunderstood, but I think, I think that's it. It was very funny. 
And one of the other main themes of this book is his family. And this is literally a love letter to his family, even if the some part are really funny. The way, especially um, the way he speaks about his parents is very touching, very moving. Like you feel the love, you feel the admiration too, which I think is so endearing. Like I love them. And so about his siblings, so he has a big brother and a big sister and they are eight and eight and six years older than him. So he said that he spent a lot of his childhood alone. Like he was not an only child, but he was alone because they were bigger and didn't want to play with him because they had other like hobbies and stuff. And this is something I can actually relate to because I have two sisters and one brother and I'm the youngest. And with the oldest, there's a 14 uh, year gap. With my brother, I have a 12 year gap and my, my second sister, she is nine years older than me. So I was also a lot alone or I tried to ask my sisters, my brother to play with me, but usually when they didn't want it because they had other things to do. When I was a kid, I always liked to play a doctor, so I wanted them to be like sick and be my patient. Yeah, but about this, so he talks about the fact that he played a lot. Well, he had friends, but like the friends were more interested in football than like theater. And he would just like, you know, create characters and all that. But since um, no one wanted to play with him, he's been scheming like a criminal ever since. <laughs> well, not ever since, but he did want it to murder his sister. And this is hilarious. Like, <laughs> just how he talked about it um, at the fame event, uh, if you have seen like the online stream, is hilarious. You just need it to go, you know, but just need it to go. I mean, please tell me this is not a Scorpio thing to do, like to want to murder his sister because he was so pissed at her at the moment and just like she stick her tongue out of it. Like, anyway, and well, I never wanted to murder my sisters. I had a thing that I started to say when I was a kid, I said it once and then I kept saying it, but every time I was um, pissed at them, I didn't want you to play with me or something else, I would tell them, t'es plus ma soeur, which we can just say it to, you're not my sister anymore, and apparently the first time I said that to my uh, big sister, she couldn't stop laughing, uh, and that stayed actually, even now sometimes when we argue, she like to just say, you're not my sister anymore, <laughs> but I never wanted to actually really kill her. <laughs> But anyway, way, he didn't um, kill his sister. And uh, there's um, a line, and I'm just going to put sometimes little clips from the audiobook. So just you can send the vibe, and maybe we want to like listen to it too. But it's about his sister, you know. Like, he even said that he sighed the new grave for his sister. But well, in the end, he says... And I decided to bury the hatchet rather than my sister. I mean... Well, bury the hatchet. I mean, she says that, Taylor Swift, you know? And, well, a second one, because the humour, because he's very funny. Well, I think that he is very funny, and this book is very funny. So, just a little piece of the humour in the way it is written, because it's, well, it's very funny, it makes me laugh. A few days later, Mum was driving me to Ladywell Baths for a chlorine overdose, followed by an evening of stinging eyes, otherwise known as a swimming lesson. Well, you can sense that he has a love for swimming. <laughs> Actually, he said more than once that swimming is definitely not his strong suit. <laughs> um, actually, at the Fane event, the host asked him if it was him in I Came By Who, because it's a swimming scene, and if it was him. <laughs> and he loved to say, well, I can swim, just... <laughs> um, well, I can't... Well, I'm, maybe I can swim to save my life, but not that much. I mean, uh, yeah, swimming is not my strong suit either. Actually, when I was 
at school and we had to go to the swimming pool. I hated it. And I even once failed to not know how to swim because I didn't want to go with the ones who knew how to swim because it scared me what they were supposed to do. So I was like, no, I can't swim. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, but like I said, um, through his childhood, you uh, discovered that his love for playing characters and also, okay, he did want you to murder his, uh, his sister, but there's also, you see, a bit of um, admiration for his brother and sister, like he looked up to them. Uh, he talks about when he saw his sister in a play and she was going, he was like, my sister, like, good, like, talented, how? <laughs> no, it's not possible, like... <laughs> And um, yeah, I find it very interesting because you realize that in the end, theater has always been there, like, you know, like playing a character and plays and theater. So it almost like it had to happen at some point. Like, I don't know. And okay, there's actually a moment when he talks about his childhood. One of his childhood crushes was a girl named Jane. <laughs> And I'm laughing because if you have watched Downtown, which you probably had, but if like me, you are a covert shipper, which means, I mean, covert is the ship name for Corrine Robert, Jane is not a name you like to hear usually. And I don't know why it makes me laugh that, that one of his crushes was named Jane, like the odds, you know, but that part is hilarious. I love hearing his story when he was a kid because his voice uh, sometimes where he becomes a kid again and yeah it's so nice to hear and it's very very funny. Yeah where Jane it evolves a chocolate box like a big 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 chocolate box. I'm not going to say uh, more. You have to read it. So he talks about his family a, a lot but sometimes he doesn't have like chapters that are uh, centered on one member and there's a chapter called Colin Bond where he talks about when he was in James Bond and he talks about his mother who was in MI6 which I think now you know the story because the first time I heard it was on um, Jimmy Kimmel when he was doing the promo for the first movie of Downton so it was in 2019 and then he talked about it again on the on the fame event I think we talked about it um, in the ground notes and like he talked about it a lot and he talks about his mother when his mother died and it's it's funny because yeah well, you have moments like he even says it himself like you want to laugh because it really it's funny but sometimes you want to cry because it's very sad and moving at the same time that's literally the theme of the book sometimes they're like like oh it's sweet and oh it's sad and oh it's funny and you know it's sometimes just all mixed up like it's very good and there's a chapter called hidden on the hard drive and it's about his late brother and it is very very moving um i don't know how to say it instead of that but really this chapter when i listened to it it really yeah moved me really moved me to tears because he discovered things about his brother that he didn't know his reflection you know because he uh, his brother died suddenly because obviously when he reads it you sense like the the emotion um, and it's uh, very moving. As, I want to say the same adjective over and over again, but I don't know what to say more. And about his father that you follow a bit, like really, uh, or sometimes in the book, like in, in the beginning, then when like when his brother died, he talks about when he and his sister they went to tell his father and stuff like that. And it's very touching, very moving. It's lovely also how he talks about his dad. 
and like especially like in the beginning of the book when he was playing when he was a kid like it's, there's like you sense i said it already but you sense the admiration and the love that he has for um his family for his dad and um yeah very very touching and again a little clip again about a moment in his youth that i think the way it's written like the whole part is so great like i said it's written the book bit like a movie like you can actually like see it and a little part you know just to give you again a taste and actually it's to tell you go and buy the audiobook i can put a pin in that image and mark it as a turning point in my life i'm not going to tell you where it is because you have to read the book but let's just say that in the end he got what he wanted and you know there's something is very funny book through this whole theater journey and um what yeah there's something about him saying that you know he like he made his own choices like he you know it's he even talked about it on the fair event like someone said you should like trust me you should do that and he said well no i'm not going to do that <laughs> do the other thing the thing that he says is that you know you're on your own so you make your own decision your own choices and like i said he got what he wanted and through this whole theater journey there's someone that actually hilarious and i'm just going to say fake it till you make it till you do till it's true <laughs> um because for example he ends up being a flamenco dancer and this part is very funny because he's like me like when you see me he screams flamenco dancer <laughs> but you know in the end he ended up on stage dancing flamenco so fake it till you make it till you do till it's true so hey and also, all the characters I played when he was a kid, but in the end, he ended up being an actor on stage and on movies, so hey, it worked. And when I was listening so to this audiobook, I was, to be honest, I was um, excited to hear when his wife was coming into the picture. Yes, I'm a bit curious, but, you know, and the book is literally dedicated to her, so I wanted to know when she arrived. And, um, well, let's just say that this is the first chapter I think that made me cry, but like, really, it's chapter 26 and it's called Not Worth Abbott. Um, I remember me on my bed listening to the book and the chapter starts and like, oh, 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 okay, this is sad, like, okay. Beginning of the chapter really got my eyes filled with tears and the chapter I literally cried. I had to pause because I had to. Don't lay it all out. So yes, it's the first. Well, no, he talked about his wife before, but it's really in a chronological order. It's when, like I said, his wife arrived uh, in his life, sort of way, because they met before. But well, you read it and you will know. But it's, I think, probably the most personal chapter, because now he talked. You know, in events talked about. Um, so his father, his mother. Um, he talked about stuff, but that. I have uh, watched a lot of interviews, a lot of, uh, like videos on YouTube uh, with you, and I've never, I've never seen him talk about this. So it's deeply personal, very moving, like, um, not to give away, like a bit like bigger than the whole sky moving, if you know, you know. And yeah, it got me to tears. Um, but there's some part actually even funny because um, in it, it says that his mom always say that it was thanks to her that uh, he and his wife got together. And that's one that really sweet, but like the beginning, 
there's so many emotions really well uh, yeah I end up crying but he talks about his wife in some of the parts of the book and there's one thing that I want to say to him is you should listen to your wife <laughs> because twice actually once he said it he says you know at that moment I should have listened to my wife yes but at another moment he wanted to do something stupid and he was like you're not going to do that right and he did it and then he was like why did I do that? So yeah, I'm gonna say it again, you should listen to your wife and actually this is very Robert Crowley coded. By the way, I should have listened to her. I'm like, yeah, probably. And um, so yeah, that chapter 20, uh, chapter 26 pretty, um, yeah, I cried. And um, there's some other uh, like stories about his wife and a table and stamps. <laughs> that is funny too. I'll let you discover it probably in the book. And just the last thing that really made me smile, it's at a moment, he says, never underestimate your cleaner. And it makes me smile because for years I have worked as a, well, as a cleaner, I worked, yes, as a cleaner in the U European Parliament, like in school breaks, summer. And it's funny because you have a lot of people that work there, you know, like are here to clean toilets or old things and their different backgrounds. So yes, I would agree with him and say never underestimate your cleaner. Then we stopped the, uh, well, we're already actually in the raw sound part, but to talk about movies. Like I said, we already talked about some chapters of this part, but the chapter big movie, small film is hilarious. It starts with Downton, but it talks about something else when he like audition for a part. I have nothing to say except that it is hilarious. Like to read it, to listen to I don't want to say a lot, but to listen to it is even better. Like and the ending. I don't want to say the ending of almost every chapter is on point. Like it ends sometimes it's really like a mic drop. You know, uh, and I I don't know how to say it. I don't know if you have an English expression that can work, but in French we say like la chute, which you can say to the fog, but I don't know if you say that for like the end of the like chapter or anything of a story, but I remember the, the, the ending when I heard him like say it, it was, I mean, I laughed really. <laughs> that chapter is amazing. Well, the whole book is amazing. I think you got it, but you know. And one thing that I want to say is that I think you would probably enjoy this book even more if you know a bit about theatre in England um, or in the UK. Why? Because first, if you know well a bit about London or like the theatres that are there, like the places he actually worked. Like I said, I feel um, like it's like a movie, like you can um, see it quite clearly, but if you've been there, I think it would speak to you even more. And even about all the people like talks about because well some i know them um i have seen harry potter you can laugh but my knowledge of british actors started with harry potter and there's a lot of actors that he talks about that sometimes i google them because i want to know who they were they were and i was like i know that person they were in harry potter so you know but yeah of, of course there are names i know who they are like i know who Lawrence olivia is i know who michael gambon is i know who kenneth Branagh is well both of them they were in harry potter actually but you know I know some of them, but some I didn't, so I literally Googled them. Sometimes I knew like the face of that person, but didn't know the name anyway. But I think if you know them, it's even, uh, you would appreciate it even more. You don't need to know them to appreciate it, that's true. But if you know them, I think you add something a bit, you know. But I have to say, like I said, if you know them, it's different because 
it hits different when you know the people he's talking about but you also know that they're not uh, with us anymore like they they passed away uh, like a couple of years ago because they're twice um he mentioned well more than once he mentioned people that are not here and sometimes he just says and then you're like oh well, if you're like me and you're very emotional, but for example, the Naughty Hay chapter is one of my favorites. Um, I love, I love this chapter. I love this film, it's one of my favorite film of all time. And in Notting Hill, so you have an actress called Emma Chambers, and she, she's one who plays Honey, so um, Hugh Grant's sister. And if you know, you know that when she died a couple of years ago, you know that technically the story will not end well, but a part of you, when you here uh, or you read it you're like oh it's not because that's how he was friend with her and how we know like uh when they kept laughing together and you want to forget the part you know the part where she's well dead well he says it you know so at the end you know that you know like he in case you didn't know or you didn't want to remember or you forgot you know he says it and another time in the chapter uh, head girl that i really really love to he talks about natasha richardson and again you know that this will not end nicely and i think i don't know if it's you but like it probably was hoping to not say it you know we know i don't and then okay slap in the face thank you Hugh, to remember us that natasha richardson died also a couple of years ago so it adds something to and it really when you hear you say you see that he's like sad that there's something you know about um when he talked about nothing about you know even if we don't see each other like every day when you're gonna meet again because you had those great memories in common it would feel like no time has passed or something like that so you're already in the like okay thank you and then slap and say well because she's dead and that was uh, very sad one thing that i love in this is she even like the host on the fan event said it that he is starstruck by talent and this is so true uh because while well, i talk about the people that he's been friend uh he's been a friend with but through the whole book through every people that he met or that he saw on stage you feel that he admires them because they're talented and it doesn't matter if like legends because obviously like Mute, he um, him being like um, starstruck by Michael Gambon or Judith, she's like, yeah, of course, because we all starstruck by them, but it's not even them, it's everyone. Like he talks about Ian Glenn, like I said, he talks about uh, like Natasha Richardson and a lot of people and you really feel that there's not just, I like them because well, we're friends, it's nice, but also like they're talented and it's like in awe, you know, of talent. And there's a moment I chapter that love very much too it's called below the title and the beginning of the chapter is hilarious like it feels like he just it's out of something completely um not strange but absurd yeah and then the chapter is about the movie iris if you haven't seen that you have to see it it is so beautiful so moving so heartbreaking the cast is incredible and it talks about this movie so it's about Iris Murdoch and author and her husband John Bailey I think and her journey through Alzheimer's and she loved words and you know with Alzheimer's she would uh, lose the ability to like speak have you know like play with words like she used to do and it's uh, like a two-part movie where it's, you have like the 
the old days of Alice Murdoch and her husband, and so they're played by Judy Dench and Jim Broadbent. And you have like their youth, how they met, and so they are played by Kate Winslet and Hugh Bondel. And I remember, I don't know, I wanted to watch something, and I was on my, well, I'm still, I'm with Mondo Rove. Okay, let's just pick a movie with Hugh in it. And I stumbled across that, and I never heard, I think I never heard of it. And I just watched the cast and I was like, oh, okay, so first there's you, so I want to see it. But then I was like, there's Kate Winslet, so let's just jump in. I mean, the others are great too, and I will just say. But like, Kate Winslet is a really big reason for me to watch the movie. And the movie was so, like, I don't even know, I tried to find, like, adjectives, but it was so, like I said, touching, moving, heartbreaking, so well made, because I have to say, I watched it. Hugh was incredible, like Hugh and Jim, like their performance, and he talks about it, and I can't even, I was so um, surprised because it really felt like Hugh was the young version of Jim Broadbent, or like Jim was the older version of Hugh Broadbent. All the costumes, hair, makeup department, they were incredible because it feels like, just when you see them, it feels like, you know, they're like the same person, but the acting was excellent. I was like, and he, his character is just so endearing, so sweet. Like, for oh, the whole movie, I just wanted to hug him, really. It's a beautiful movie, you have to see it. Funny thing about this story of them, like, you know, playing the same character, but feel like it's the same person. There's a journalist that once was uh, talking with Jim Broadbent that thought that Jim was playing the young version and the old version of John Bailey. And Jim said that, no, it was played by two different actors and the young ones are played by someone named Hugh Bonneville but <laughs> but once the um the composer James Horner who made the music for the the movie is you know he's the one who made like the music for Titanic for example he thought that so John Bailey was played also about just one actor one actor called Hugh Bonneville which I think it's funny and it's quite good for both of them because you know once uh, you know, because there at least one person thought that, you know, one was playing, like, well, each of them was playing just the two characters. But, like I said, I, you need to see this movie. And when I said, you know, that he's uh, starstruck by Tom, but he worked with Jim and Judy before. But Kate, he, talk, he talked about it once. I I, I heard it, it was in, well, sometimes when I go on YouTube and I just write Hugh Bonneville on the research bar and then I'm like, scrolling down to videos I haven't watched before. And he talked about this, about a scene that, um, so she, they played the scene and she did it in three different ways, but three ways that were like great and that, that were great would actually be, you know, the, the plot and what happened. But, you know, it was just so amazing that there, the director was like, yes, it's great, but now which one are we going to choose? And, and he said, it, and you, you can feel when he talks about it that, Yes, he was starstruck. Like, I was like, whoa. And I love that because, yeah, there's, there's so much like admiration and respect for like his work colleagues. Yes, we can say that. That it makes him such a nice, nice guy. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I remember what Dean Murray said on the Grand Auto show. He said that he seems like the greatest guy, but he. You feel it, and you know, sometimes obviously, when in interviews, you 
might not be really yourself but if this book is the real Hugh Bolville, I love him even more, I have to say it. And really the whole speech about Kate Winslet was very touching. And he even said something about the movie that I want to watch it again because of something he said. I'm not going to say it, but you have to see it. And I just, I was just thinking that I'm a bit jealous that he got to kiss Kate Winslet, I'm not going to lie. You know? Yeah. And about, so Paddington, because we haven't really talked about Paddington. Yes, we talked about the color uh, theme of the book, which is very Paddington coded. He talks about Paddington, but the thing that made me really laugh is that he wanted to win a bottle of champagne. You feel like, you know, he there was actually kind of a, a thing that uh, was like, not a competition, but yeah, it's kind of a game and you could win a bottle of champagne and he got a bottle of champagne. And yeah, that made me laugh. As well. <laughs> yeah, because Paddington just has seen a lot of countries and places around the world. And yeah, it's very funny. But now let's talk about something very interesting. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Everything is interesting. But let's talk about Downton Abbey. I keep it for the end, obviously. But like I said, there's some moments that he would talk about Downton in some other parts of the book, which I think is very interesting. And with this Downton Abbey is how I know him. Well, I think I know him since Long Hill, but when I watched Downton, I actually talked about it in my previous episode, if you want to check that. But it's only with Downton that I was like, okay, first I didn't know he was Bernie, it's my mom who made me realize that he was Bernie, not him. But I absolutely love the character of Robert Crowley. I said it again, I'm gonna say it again. And I, I said it in my podcast, Sean Go Through, actually, that the main reason why I love Robert is actually because of you. I think if you wasn't playing Robert, I would probably not like Robert that much. And so it's through Downton that I seem to be a fan of that person. And so Downton, and he talks about it also on, on the fan events, but Shirley MacLaine and Maggie Smith, like their meeting. And I have to say, the thing that I like the most is the voices that he does for each characters. You know, like he, he tries to imitate like Shirley MacLaine, like he tries to imitate other people in the book. And I find it very funny. And you know, him being like, I was sitting like in the middle, like you have, you know, on the left you have Maggie and on the right you have uh, Shirley, like this is um, great. But he doesn't say, I know he said once that when his child would like crush, like celebrity crush when he was younger, was Shirley MacLaine. And he, had, he doesn't say again, so I want to know if it's true, like if it's still true or if he just changed his mind. So I don't know if you just pop in you just see that please i won't know the answer um yeah so that was very again you have the admiration of the same come on it's showing that like magazine like so but it's very it feels like you know like, like this, a child like when you know when he says that he was um there was something also when he talked about maggie smith when he says that he was like starstruck from day one to her last day of filming and you sense like almost the child or the young actor were like whoa yeah like whoa <laughs> Other thing that I think now we know Hugh, but he had to talk about it in the, in the book, that probably one of his favorite thing on Downton was to vomit blood on Elizabeth McGovern. There's literally a chapter, okay, where he talks about this. And I think now we got it. <laughs> I think now we, we get that this is probably his favorite thing about Downton, except, you know, working with Maggie and Surely it's vomiting from Elizabeth McGovern. Um, yeah, it's very funny, but because he talks about it a lot, actually. I just love that it's still there. Like, 
oh, you know, if I have to like write it down, like I have to, you know, in case I forgot, that I can read it again and remember that, yes, it was very satisfying. You know, it's the episode, it's season six, but I can't remember if it's uh, episode five, I think it's five or six. It's when Robert, you knows he's also burst and, you know, he vomit blood. Well, you know, he had to get off his chest, like, literally. <laughs> but it's funny, he actually says how it was made, so it's very um, interesting. And yeah, and he's also vomiting blood and he's not covering recap. But he talks about Downtown Be A New Era, he has a chapter on it. I love this chapter where he talks about Maggie Smith, he talked about it actually on the thing, even saying that when she, uh, like, touched his hand, like, took his hand in, in hers, like, he was, um, like, a surprise because it never happened. And what I love, actually, when he talks about Downtown Be A New Era is how he talks about Simon Curtis, so Simon Curtis, director of the second Downton movie, also husband of Elizabeth McGovern. But you know, you, you can feel that he he likes him and he admires him how he managed to work uh, and how he managed to make it work. It, it's very enduring. Like I said, the way he talks about his colleagues and people he's wor he worked with, even some of his friends, it just makes you love him even more because you realize that he loves people and loves talent and I don't know there's something very touching uh, yeah that's my favorite like um, I have like five adjectives to describe this book but there it's the feeling you have it's there's a lot of warmth actually in this book and it's a very positive book even if you have some really um sad moments it's very positive and um yeah so I liked it and also oh there's something he talks about in uh, about you know Dertonian era about uh, that scene when they just arrived at the um, uh, Villa de Colombes in the south of France and when he comes into the, the house with Jonathan Zakai who plays uh, so the Marquis de Mirai and he said um, no, I don't remember uh, if it was Simon's idea or if it was his idea or Simon no it's Simon who said maybe you can have like a gesture that will make you think that they're brother or maybe you know you perhaps think maybe they're brothers and they decided to scratch their ears and he said something where nobody noticed it but he was there and Hugh I don't know if you're gonna to listen or see that ever but just know we noticed I remember I watched it a lot at the movie theater but I remember maybe not the first time but the second time I watched it well the first time I noticed it was something but I was so focused on him that I watched like the other and I was like there's something so the second time I went to see it I noticed it my mom should see that right away actually but we noticed and even after that he talked about it in an interview and so after people went to watch so we noticed now and if, if you didn't now you know you will because he said it you know it's written on paper um you know but he also talks about the fact that we we be able to go to france or not and i'm so glad that it did because the plan said was well it could have been nice you know i've been tricked i really thought that the the party was in france and it wasn't but yeah maybe even just for them it was great to go to france and uh to end on downtown i have again a little clip for you because i had to okay i absolutely had to because he well you know we know he loves promoting blood on Elizabeth McCovern that we know but he used the ship name so i had to put that little line for you because i mean come on so yeah here with you please the nickname mcgonaville incidentally 
had come about during a limo drive to the Golden Globe Awards a year earlier. My first Huey for Tears is the audio version, he's not there. I wish he was, but he's not. I had to, okay? Him just saying McGonaville is just... I mean, I know we are crazy fans, um, yeah. And each time he actually uses that <laughs> name, we go completely nuts, like completely. But like we like to say, he's a captain of the ship. So it makes me really happy to see him use the word McGonaville. So if you don't know where well, he actually talks about how he was born and created, but just, you know, in case you're like, what is that? Is well, it became now a ship name for Elizabeth McGovern and Hugh Bonneville. So, you know, not that they're together or something, it's just, you know, because they're friends and it's a nice ship name and, um, and all that. Anyway, if you haven't watched Freezing, go see that because that was made by Simon Curtis and who isn't it? Hugh Bonneville and Elizabeth McGovern. And as fans, it kind of feel like it's um, their characters are like a modern version of Ryan Roberts. Like, the, they kind of have the same vibe, but it was made before Downton. You have to see that. And then the other woman, actually, oh god, I'm gonna say that, but it's very sweet. Um, he talks about the Downton Union era and when they did the promo and all that, and he talks about Simon Curtis, and then he says, Our wife. <laughs> I like to talk about Elizabeth, and I thought very funny and very sweet. So, yes. And the end of this book literally destroyed me. Like, I cried already, and I was like, Okay. Well, okay, you can't make me cry more than you just talk about Maggie Smith and how he, she touched his hand. I was like, okay, that was already in a lot of tears, but <laughs> thanks to him, he literally broke me with the end of the book uh, because the book ends with um, on his father. And it talks about to Olivia, uh, that he talked about it also earlier. So, to Olivia's movie that he made, it's about Wardal and his wife Patricia Neal, and when their daughter Olivia was ill with measles and when she died. And it's actually adapted from Patricia Neal's autobiography, I think. It's a very, very beautiful movie. I loved it. Um, it's a different hue. We have like, if she, I'm not going to say that we have never seen him again because he did different characters, but it's a different way to see Hugh, actually, and I really loved it. Like, the him and um, Kili Horse were incredible. The movie was really beautiful. And he talks about, well, he talks about it again uh, on the fame event, but this the end of this book really, like, again, there's so much you want to laugh because he even said, like I said, I had to laugh. But you cry at the same time because it is sad. So, um, yeah, but it's very, it's actually a really beautiful way to end the book. Very emotional way, but a very beautiful way to end the book. So, yeah. In the end, like I said, I loved it. <laughs> I think you got the, the point now. And the thing that really you see that just comes out of it, it's a really positive feeling because even if there are some really sad and moving moments, there's always something positive about it. Like, you, yeah, in the end, you you feel, it makes you feel great. I don't know how to say it. Like, reading this, it's very enjoyable, very entertaining, and listening to it is the same. So uh, I highly recommend it, obviously. Um, there's pictures in the book, actually. And I, I wanted to end on saying that when I was reading this, well, actually listen to it first. It made me think about another book that I've read, another memoir, 
that I loved and that I love actually and it's one of my favorite books and it's a book by Jean-Paul Belmondo called Mille Vies Valmecune so you can translate it by uh, a thousand lives are better than one and it's the same feeling in the way that the relationship with the family the love he has for his parents the admiration even the love with his siblings and love with his family um and you have the career and to inspire his friends and even those who are not here anymore right now it's sad because Jean-Paul Bondo died um last year but when the book came out he was still alive I think it came out in 2016 you know a lot of people were dead because why well, it's the generation and it was the same feeling you know like you could enjoy it even if you didn't know who the people were that he was talking about you know but you enjoy it even more if you knew who they were and yeah the feeling was the same because in the end lots of happened to to him and some things that were great you know he became this famous superstar actor and all that but there were some really painful moments that happened to him like when he lost his daughter and and all that but in the end so you have really deep moving moments but at the same time there's a lot of positivity and i got the same feeling and it was a lot of humor to it different humor obviously because two different people but i really enjoyed it and i have to say i don't know if that book was ever translated um i don't know i tried to look for the information and i don't have it so i don't know if it was i think it's a shame if it wasn't translated because well Jean-Paul was definitely one of the biggest film star ever like in France but I think even worldwide he's part of like the legends legends in movie industry yeah I think it's sad if he wasn't translated so I don't know but if you like if you're French or you can read French I highly recommend it if you like memoir and, and stuff because it's a way it is told it's exactly in the same way like it's someone in your family that just sits down with you you know next to the fire with a nice cup of tea and say hey i'm going to tell you a story and yeah he probably wants to believe that he was translated in italian because Jean-Paul had italian blood but i don't know so i can't say it and i don't know if this is going to be translated my sister and my mother really wanted to translate it in french because well they don't understand english well they understand it but they can't read it so i hope it would be i really hope because uh, since i listened to it i just I just kept talking about it all day long. <laughs> but I've, I've been talking about Hugh for a while now, so I think they just, they're tired of it, probably. <laughs> but anyway. And again, the other book, you have to listen to where you have to. No, you don't. But I'm going to give you a tip because I listen to it on Audible. And actually, there's an Audible session with him that is free, but it's free for the people that already have Audible, it's free for everybody that I don't know. Like I said, there's an Audible session, you have a part on YouTube, but you have a bigger part on so Audible session. It's uh, it's free, but I think it's free, like if you have Audible, it's free for everybody that I don't know. And one thing that really touches me and moves me every time is like, whether he was at the fan event or in this Audible session, every time he speaks about his father, you see he struggles not to cry, and I don't know why it's it moves me and on audible i don't know if it's the same everywhere but in france it's that so i think probably it's the same everywhere but your first month when you like subscribe to audible is free and so audible you pay so it's subscription and in france it's like 10 euros right i think it's 9.99 but it's 10 euros and 
each month you can have a book which one you like like it doesn't it, it doesn't depend on the price of the book that is why it's great because you have books that literally cost like 50 or 70 euros and you can it for like 10 because you have the subscription and your first month is free so your first book is free technically well it will happen to me when I subscribe to Audible. So if you want to listen to that, we're like, oh my God, it's pricey. Maybe you can subscribe to Audible, have your first month for free, and then you just uh, rest up the subscription. So you have, you know, this book for free. And actually in the Audible, you have parts that are not in the book. Because when I listen to it and I read it, they actually said it, um, they, they say it in the audiobook, which are things that you have in the audio that you don't have in the book. But I can't remember, I can remember some stuff that he said that were not, because I was like, uh, hey, uh, you talked about that person and they're not in it. And, but I can't remember like the chapters in that, so I think now I should like listen to it again while reading it and to know exactly what is missing. But the thing, because I remember that when I read it, like, um, okay. So it's a plus. So in the book you have pictures, but in the book you have more stuff. So, you know, like I said, you can probably have it for free. So that's nice, right? And it's really so great. Like, um, yeah. And if you never tried audiobooks and you want to try it, um, I actually discovered it during lockdown through Harry Potter because I listened to every Harry Potter read by Stephen Fry. And I have to say, Stephen Fry was the best narrator ever, ever, ever. But you can also, like, if you want to stay in the same theme, you know, after listening to Hugh, actually read um, the Paddington stories. Well, some are read by Jim Broadbent, some are read by Stephen Fry, some are read by him. And I loved it. Really, really nice. We also have The Chaperone, read by Isabel McGovern. Um, it was really fun because I wanted to read the book, so, well, listen to it before watching the movie. And um, so I listened to it, it's really, really good. And it's funny to then watch the movie and see Elizabeth saying a line that she said when she read the book. Well, very good too. If you like like memoirs and stuff, you have Home and Homework by Julie Andrews, read by Julie Andrews. It's really good. Again, discovering her story through her is so good. And she actually has read a lot of other books, but all the books that she has made, I think she read them. Uh, and you have lots of other things. You have Lord of the Rings, Red Bat in the Circus. You have uh, Narnia Chronicles that are read by several people. I think there's Kenneth Branagh, I'm sure. I think there's Derek Jacobi and maybe Ellen Mirren, I'm not really sure. And you also have Rodal. Um, you have Red Number Matilda, read by Kate Winslet. Is there someone here that is in charge of making audiobooks? Or if it's you listening to that, can I ask you a question? why nobody had the idea or why nobody did like i don't know if it wasn't someone had it or not but she asked you to read charlie and the chocolate factory because after i watched to olivia in this uh, in the timeline of the movie that's the moment that rodal he is writing charlie and the chocolate factory and this book was one of my favorite as a kid really and i, I thought maybe they're gonna have the idea and ask him to read the book i haven't found it so I don't know if someone had the idea and someone said, no, we don't want him to do that. Or he's, he's the one who wanted to do that. But please tell me, like, I think I may need some explanations because why? I love this book so much and I think, well, I love Hugh and I think it'd be great. So I think I need that in my life. I need Hugh, I need Hugh reading 
Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. So if someone can make that happen, please. Or if you just want to, you know, recall himself by reading and saying to me, I would be fine too, you know. But I think I need that in my life right now. So like I said, uh, I highly recommend this book. I highly recommend you to buy it. First, because it would be a nice birthday present for you if you buy his book, yeah? And, you know, it's Christmas soon, so if you celebrate Christmas, you can ask it for Christmas. Or your birthday, if your birthday is like soon. I highly recommend the audiobook too, if you love audiobooks, I really, really do. It's a great experience, so do it. And actually, there might be a um, way uh, for you to win a book. Um, stay tuned because something will come out, it's supposed to come out in a couple of days or technically on the 10th of November as a sort of a birthday present for him. Well, well, it's a present, you know, sometimes presents are not good, so we'll see, but it's something and when this will come out you will um, learn how you can win a book, like, yeah. It's not sponsored, you know, it's just me, well, it's sponsored by me actually, but yeah, so yeah, you, there might be a way for you to win a book, but you have to be a bit patient. But yeah. So, yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, that is very, very long. But if you know me, you know me. Long story short, I can't do it. It's long story with me. I was never able to make a summary, and it's not now that we'll be able to make one. <laughs> um, again, go read this book, go listen to it. Um, yeah, don't forget to say happy birthday to Hugh on the 10th of November and stay tuned because something is coming. Um, like I said, it's a surprise. Uh, well, it is a surprise. Is it a good one? I don't know, but yeah. And you might be able to win a book. You will know that very soon on the 10th of November, actually. And yeah, so I will see you in another episode of Show It About It, so next month. And as I already put, if you have suggestions, ideas, please share them with me because I have ideas, but if there's something that you really want to see or to hear, well, it's best, you know, because I make like the episodes, but you're the one who are supposed to listen or to watch them. So if you have ideas, please share them with me. Yeah. And so, like I said, surprise on the 10th of November. And so I'll see you then or in December. And until then, stay safe and take care. Thank you. Please adopt me. Bye. You are a woman of real substance, and I am lucky enough to call you my wife. Oh, splendid. Oh, well done. We were on a break. It's been a journey of discovery, put it that way. I'm going to keep that in, you know. The end.